Cascadia and the edge of the world, Euphemet presents Night Drift with Jim Perry. Live on Alternative Talk, 1150 KKNWAM, I'm Jim Perry, and you are listening to another edition of Night Drift presented by Euphemet. Coming to you tonight from my home studio in the hinterlands of the Oregon coast, rain pelting against my window beside me, the season has changed and things have gotten much darker. So has my coffee, if we're honest. I'm running on little sleep since back from my Euphemet taping in rural Indiana. Next, an assignment takes me to Los Angeles and this time I'm bringing you with me. So more on that later. But tonight, thousands around the world have experienced strange lights in the sky and visitations by mysterious craft and beings, some even report, being taken. Formerly called contactees, then abductees, these individuals are now referred to as experiencers, as the variety and degree of contact and theorized intention suggest a widespread phenomenon not so easily defined as simply abduction. A Pulitzer Prize-winning Harvard psychiatrist named John Mack fell into the stories of these individuals and, through it, perhaps only came out with more questions than answers. Former New York Times reporter Ralph Blumenthal chronicles the life and career of Mack in his book Believer, Alien Encounter, The Believer, Alien Encounters, Hard Science, and the Passion of John Mack, and perhaps like Mack himself, helped usher a new era of UFO as the co-writer to the groundbreaking New York Times story on the Pentagon's secret UAP program. Ralph Blumenthal is here with us tonight for the duration of the program, and as if channeling John Mack, at the bottom of the hour, we'll be joined by Lucy, a lifelong experiencer who will share her story. And we'll also be taking your calls tonight, 425 373 5527 or toll free in Western Washington, 888 298 KKNW. That's 5569. Have you had a UFO sighting? Would you qualify yourself as potentially an experiencer? Let's hear it on Night Drift with Jim Perry and Alternative Talk, KKNW, 1150 AM. We'll be right back after this. social media at Euphemet, E-U-P-H-O-M-E-T. Don't let that herd mentality lead you off a cliff. We support thinking for yourself on Alternative Talk 1150. With Jim Perry on Alternative Talk, 1150 AM, KKNW, Seattle. Now, here again is Jim. That's right. Here I am again, drifting deeper into the night. Tonight, an exploration into the lives of three people, really. A Harvard psychiatrist, an award-winning journalist, and an alien experiencer. For more than 45 years, Ralph Blumenthal led an extensive and illustrious career at the New York Times as an arts and culture news reporter, an investigative and crime reporter, a foreign correspondent, and more. He also co-wrote the Breakthrough 2017 Times article that broke the story of the secret Pentagon program. He has written seven books on organized crime and cultural history. He led the Times Metro team that won the Pulitzer Prize for breaking news coverage of the 1993 truck bombing of the World Trade Center. In his latest book, The Believer, Alien Encounters, Hard Science, and the Passion of John Mack is out now. And I've got my hands around it as I sit here. Ralph, thank you so much for joining us here on Night Drift. Thank you, Jim. It's a real pleasure. Well, it's a pleasure talking with you, and I say that without hyperbole. And I think for the uninitiated, let's catch them up before we go deep into the conversation. Would would, would you allow us a description of who was John E. Mack? 
Okay, John Mack was a psychiatrist, an esteemed psychiatrist at uh, Harvard Medical School. Um, he had won a Pulitzer Prize uh, for his biography of T.E. Lawrence, Lawrence of Arabia. Mm. He was a pioneer in uh, developing mental health services for the poor in Cambridge. He was an anti-war activist who protested nuclear weapons, got arrested in Nevada. Um, <laughs> he, um, and uh, he wrote a book on, on uh, childhood development and nightmares. Uh, he was very firmly grounded in, on, on this earth. Uh, mm. um, until a series of, of uh, encounters, not with aliens, but with, with humans, uh, convinced him that there was something going on that had escaped him in all his psychiatric training. Uh, people were having um, uh, experiences that, that could not be explained in our notion of reality. So mm. he risked his career, uh, his very distinguished psychiatric career, to investigate these stories of uh, alien encounters that uh, pe people were coming to him with. Uh, they were very reluctant to speak, of course. They were not publicity-seeking, which is one of the things that convinced them, it convinced him that they were telling the truth. They, they had a very uh, um, uh, convincing affect, you mm -hmm. know, uh, when they discussed these things, they were very troubled. So uh, all these things convinced him he was on to something, and he wrote two books about it and um, became uh, really the most eminent um, uh, scientist, a medical person, investigating these stories. Yeah. Now, what was the process he used as a psychiatrist in working with abduction experiencers? Well, first of all, he was very charismatic and empathetic. Uh, people trusted him. He was tall. He was very good looking, magnetic to men and, and that women. Helps. I mean, that helps. Everybody kind of fell for him. Um, so people trusted him with their stories. But basically, he would just talk to people. Uh, he used hypnosis very sparingly because hypnosis uh, was and remains sort of controversial and things can creep into a hypnosis session that uh, may affect the results. So he preferred sort of relaxation techniques. But basically, he got people to talk to him. He used his psychiatric training to illuminate these experiences, to rule out mental illness, for example, which he did. These people were not crazy. Um, and, um, uh, and he was a, a brilliant uh, psychiatrist. He was very good at analyzing you know, mental states. And he was a very good writer, like, like uh, Sigmund Freud, by the way. Mm -hmm. uh, who was probably a better writer than scientist, in my view. Um, uh, he was just a wonderful communicator, and mm -hmm. he was brilliant at, at encapsulating his ideas, both John Mack and Freud. Anyway, um, so that's how people just trusted him with their stories, and he um, uh, investigated their stories to uh, you know a, a really significant degree. Um, he was not as I can explain later, a believer of the title of my book, just somebody who takes uh, things for granted, uh, he really investigated. Yeah. During his investigations, what was one of them that made sort of the biggest impression on you while you were working on this book? Well, um, as I say, he was very open to people. He, he didn't... Um, um, question people in a way that turned them off. I mean, a lot of the, the people who came to him with their stories had been to see other psychiatrists and um, who were very skeptical and who mm. said they were going to you know, prescribe medication. Uh, they said this couldn't be happening, which, by the way, everyone agrees on. These experiences cannot be happening. Mm. Uh, there's nothing that makes them understandable to us or to the people having them. Mm. And, yet they're, and yet they are happening. So, um, um, so, so Mac was uh, almost unique in his ability to, uh, you know, connect with these people, to listen to them, to instill confidence, and uh, and and make them really um, willing to tell their very very strange stories. Yeah, was was there one of them in particular that stood out to you that 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 gripped you? Like, oh yeah, gosh, well, I can't believe um, there's so many, but one uh, uh, really did resonate with me. He told the story of two girls, teenage girls, who had a sleepover one night, and um, during the night, uh, the mother of one of the girls came down to check on them and found them missing. 
And of course, very alarmed, called, called the police. The police came, they searched all around, couldn't find the girls. And a few hours later, they turned up back in their beds. And later, the girls, and one in particular, remembered seeing a UFO outside the window, and they had hazy recollections of some kind of an encounter with alien beings. Um, and what was interesting about that story, as Mac told it, was that here we had a, a third-party corroboration, the mother of one of the mm -hmm. girls who actually found them missing uh, when the girls later recalled a, um, uh, an encounter experience. Um, so that was really quite striking because uh, very often uh, people were not missing uh, yeah. during uh, these encounters. There was another case of a woman who fainted in her husband's arms, and while he was holding her, she uh, remembered or imagined uh, levitating up into the sky and, you know, uh, visiting other planets. And she had this whole uh, experience while she was physically present, according to the husband. So the stories wow. went back and forth. Yeah. Wow. And of course, one of, some of the most provocative footage that, that I've seen uh, of John Mack is when he investigated the aerial school and was speaking directly to the children who had this profound reported experience. Can you share a little bit about his work uh, at the aerial school? Yeah, no, that, that is one of the really standout cases. Um, while Mack was at, at Harvard being investigated, by the way, by Harvard, because uh, he um, they were quite embarrassed, uh, Harvard superiors, by his research. So mm. the secret committee investigated him. While th that was going on, uh, he got uh, a, a news that a school, a children's school outside the capital of uh, Harare, Zimbabwe, um, had been the site of a, a sighting, a mass sighting by 60 of the 300 school children at this uh, fairly upscale day school, mixed race children, you know, all different backgrounds. And they all said the same thing. They saw some kind of a craft landing, two beings come out. They interacted with the beings telepathically. The beings had messages for them to take better care of the planet. Um, and the children later drew pictures of what they had seen. And, uh, and John Mack flew there as quickly as he could uh, and um, uh, interviewed the children on camera. And I've seen those, uh, the, the, those videos. And they're very, very convincing because, again, yeah. these children, uh, you know, could not be accused of, uh, you know, um, parroting cultural memes or having read books about abduction or watching movies. They were really very innocent observers. That's right. And um, they're very credible when they come out on these videos. You just, you know, the children talking and uh, and they all told the same basic story. So they, they weren't really making it up uh, uh, that anyone could see. So that was a very convincing episode. Yeah, and, and to this day, just some of the most compelling footage. I, I recommend anyone out there listening right now to search for that on YouTube and, ju and just watch some of that. And you really, in those instances, you get to see how charismatic uh, Mac really was and how he could, I don't know, even with children, you know, kind of really gain their trust. Um, and it really looked like a sort of a secret weapon for him. Along the way, you know, what did John... Mac believe that his work was revealing about this phenomenon. What, what, where, where did he get in that? Well, uh, he, you know, he started out um, uh, believing that these experiences were happening in 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 a very real way and in, in our reality because they were so vivid to the people telling him. Uh, as he continued investigating it, he realized that something else was going on. There's some kind of penetration of our reality from some other dimension that no one can explain. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, that's what he thought. But he said he investigated all the other possibilities that the skeptics were throwing out, that these people were um, suffering, you know, sleep um, paralysis or nightmares, or that they were mentally unstable um, or that they were, you know, looking for publicity. And one by one, he demolished all those uh, hypotheses. 
Um, and he was left with the one thing that was the most difficult to, uh, to, to comprehend that on some level, these people had suffered, had, had suffered or undergone a real experience. Um, and, um, and that was the most difficult thing. I mean, that's what he, he came up. He did not have the answers. Uh, all he was able to do was eliminate the things that were, uh, were not true. Uh, yeah. you know, particularly that these people were, you know, mentally ill in some way. We, you talked a little bit about the secret committee. Can you share a little bit how this work affected his career and, and what, what eventually happened of that? Well, yeah, what, what uh, John Mack in his uh, the subtitle of my book, by the way, you know, the passion of John Mack, he was a very <laughs> passionate person. And whatever he did, he threw himself into, whether it was, you know, opposing nuclear weapons or investigating the life of Lawrence of Arabia or, uh, you know, developing uh, mental health services for the poor. He was always very enthusiastic. And that carried over to when he first heard about these abduction experiences. He threw himself into it. And um, and that didn't sit very well with Harvard. I mean, as I say in my book, Harvard was no stranger to strange research. I mean, yeah. William James, the father of psychology, had, you know, lectured about seances and levitation 100 years before Mac at Harvard, <laughs> and he's a patron saint of Harvard. <laughs> right. um, but there was something about John Mack's enthusiasm and his willingness to throw himself into things, plus the fact that he lectured pretty widely at Harvard. He made no secret of his interest. And he lectured to Harvard audiences. He, he held seminars where he brought experiences in to talk to the students. So he made no secret of it. And that eventually, you know, uh, got under Harvard's skin. And um, they said they were going to investigate his, his methodology, whether he was, you know, using scientific methods, uh, how he was billing, uh, what he believed privately, which really made it a kind of an inquisition. Although yeah. they denied that. Um, right. So that, that's how that, and he was exonerated, by the way. They found no reason to discipline him. He, uh, he was allowed to continue his work. Uh, they just cautioned him to be a little less enthusiastic, which he, <laughs> he acknowledged. He said, okay. <laughs> um, but uh, he was free to continue his work, and he did. As you're researching this, did you get any sense of how that could have personally affected Mac, that, that sort of inquisition that he was under? Well, he was very troubled by it. First of all, it cost him a bundle of money. Mm, he had hired two, two wonderful lawyers. Uh, one was Danny Sheehan, who had investigated. He was a Jesuit uh, lawyer um, who had had a UFO experience of his own. Uh, he had investigated the Ku Klux Klan. He had investigated uh, the uh, plutonium uh, uh, you know, poisoning uh, story of Karen Silkwood. Um, he was a very eminent, um, uh, you know, lawyer. The, the um, uh, Reagan administration co uh, ran contra arms scandal, so mm -hmm. he was a political lawyer, very adept. And Eric, um, um, I'm just blanking on his last name. Um, anyway, the, his partner in the case, um, uh, Eric McLeish. Uh, had it had really broken the priest abuse scandal in Boston just about the same time. So wow. Mac had these two great lawyers who didn't come cheap. Um, um, and he was very troubled by uh, the um, investigation that Harvard put him through because he had to justify himself. But he, as I said, he was a bit naive about this. And he went into the sessions with Harvard originally without lawyers, thinking he would just explain to them what he was doing and it would be fine. And of course, that was a big mistake. <laughs> Charisma uh, breeds confidence, right? Yeah, I mean, he was he was super confident. Uh, which, if you you know you follow psychiatry, maybe that was hiding some lack of confidence. You know, right. why was he so confident uh, if it wasn't to cover up something? But um, he did have actually one trauma that I discuss in the book. His mother. Uh, died when he was eight and a half months old, died of appendicitis. So he, he was missing her all his life. He never knew why she had abandoned him. Uh, he never understood it as a child. And he was always searching for something. So, uh, so that troubled him. And he knew it. I mean, he realized it. And he was always searching for something missing, which is probably why he went searching for other intelligence in the cosmos. Right. Well, geez, like, 
you're you're trying to figure out why people go away, why people are taken, right? Wow, that's so fascinating. Yeah. In what ways did Max's work change the field of study? You think? Well, he made it. Uh, I think he um, he legitimized it. I mean, for such a pro- a prominent psychiatrist to um, show interest in the subject, to write two books about it, to go on, he went on Oprah. Uh, he went in, you know, he was written up in the New York Times. Um, he lectured widely. Um, he gave the subject legitimacy. Um, and um, I think that was very important because these people, as w- you know, we may hear from Lucy later, um, are, are very shy about sharing their experiences. They've been ostracized by society. They're afraid to, to confide in their own family, co-workers, um, because they don't understand, you know, what, what happens and why they were picked out, you know, yeah. uh, they're more mystified than anybody else. So, um, uh, so he gave these people a platform and, um, and, and believed in them that, that they were telling the, the truth as they experienced it. Right. So um, I think that was his big contribution. Yeah. Yeah. And, and following those people's truths, as a journalist would follow a story, correct? Exactly. I mean, I did the same thing, uh, you know, not to compare myself to John Mack, but... Oh, we'll get there, Ralph. <laughs> uh, but I, I, um, I've I, talked to these people myself, and I have found them uh, eminently credible, normal in every way, except for this experience. That's the mystery. Yeah. I- I've got to share the same sentiment, Ralph, being around the experiencer community and even being at sometimes embedded within experiencer support groups. You know, these are infinitely by modern standards, normal individuals that are very level headed and grounded within this consensus 3D reality, having unbelievable experiences. It's it's uh, it's really alarming and fascinating. And as as uh, Ralph mentioned, we will be joined by Lucy at the bottom of the hour. We are here with guest Ralph Blumenthal talking about the believer and the experiencer on Night Drift with Jim Perry. We're going to continue with this segment. We're going to run longer with this segment, and it also gives you a chance to call in. You can share your story with Ralph and myself, 425-373-5527, and toll-free in Western Washington, 888-298-KKNW. Please give us a call. Are you an experiencer? You know, Share your story. Um, we're here for that, uh, and uh, and I think you'll be treated well. At the end of the day, Ralph, what do you think Mac personally believed? Well, he got, he got, um, as I said, I think he started off seeing it. You know, he was blown away from when, when he first heard these stories, he heard about them from Bud Hopkins, uh, who was another investigator, but without the psychiatric expertise that Mac had, he was an artist. So um, Mac looked into the experiences um, based on uh, letters that Bud Hopkins had received and what Bud Hopkins told him. And Mac was blown away, as anybody would be, hearing about these experiences. But the more he looked into it, uh, the more he realized that something really complicated was going on. It was not a question of people getting abducted by aliens, you know, in broad daylight, because it wasn't happening that way. It wasn't only happening at night either, by the way. Um, uh, you know, that, that put, puts an end to the theory that uh, these people are having nightmares because it often happened during the daytime while people were driving their cars or walking out in the, in the woods or, you know, all kinds of ways, not when people were asleep. But anyway, um, so um, he realized something very complicated was going on. That's that our reality was being penetrated by some other experience or reality. Mm-hmm. And uh, this uh, drove him really apart from Bud Hopkins and uh, David Jacobs, the third member of their group, uh, who was a prof- history professor who had also written widely about abductions and, and taught himself hypnosis to uh, get at the stories of, of experiencers. But they took um, the position uh, basically that this was relatively straightforward. This was happening in reality, that these people had actually you know, suffered these experiences. And Mac wasn't so sure. Um, he thought it was much more liminal happening in some twilight zone mm. um, and, and, and probably related to other 
anomalous experiences that we don't understand, like near-death experiences and you know, crop circles and other things he began to investigate. So it became more and more complicated for him. Yeah. Well, in that way, you know, it's it's aided the dog ears on my copies of Mac's book, because uh, being such a fan of Fordian uh, philosophy, uh, guys like Charles Ford, uh, John Keel and their theories of ultra terrestrials, uh, Mac's work certainly started to go into that strange intersection and uh, bridge the gap between legitimate science and these ideas of what greatly could be considered almost pulp authors. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Science fiction uh, becomes reality. Yeah, it really, it's a very difficult field. And I'm glad you mentioned Charles Fort because Fort was somebody who recognized the difficulty of explaining these anomalous events. And one of my favorite quotes of his um, uh, from Charles Fort was that uh, it's like looking for a needle no one ever lost in a haystack that never was. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And, uh, you know, that sort of touches on the difficulty of this subject. Because the closer you get to it, the more it recedes. And, you know, there, there is no proof. Right. that anyone can come up with that these people have actually had these experiences. I mean, there's fragmentary proof that, that, that Mac was influenced by um, the little bits and pieces like, you know, uh, scars afterwards that they can't explain, but, but basically um, it, it's uh, yeah. And, and what Harvard kept asking Mac is what, what is the proof that these things are real? These abductions are real. And of course, uh, he he couldn't come up with any proof because there is no proof at this point that, yeah. that anybody uh, can have um, except the witnessing, which Mac thought was by itself a kind of evidence. I mean, we use it in court, you know, witnesses mm-hmm. convict, you know, result in people getting convicted and sentenced to death all the time. Right. Um, so witnessing is important, but of course the Harvard, um, you know, community wanted more and it's, it's understandable. These absolutely astounding claims would, uh, would demand some kind of proof, but there is no proof. Yeah. Mm. Well, I, I, you know, that idea and, and reckoning with that has definitely influenced my work, I think, Ralph. I mean, I, I tell people all the time, you know, I hide behind those witness stories and uh, helping people tell those stories in lieu of any sort of truth um, in terms of scientific evidence, etc., uh, being expressed uh, to tell us any greater answers. Uh, <laughs> it's, oh, yeah. it, it's so tricky. You know, it... it, it some of this makes me wonder, Ralph, if T.E. Lawrence studied the abduction phenomenon, what he would write. I, uh, I, I consider yeah. that sometimes. Well, I mean, he did all right with uh, mobilizing the Arab tribesmen against the uh-huh. Ottoman Empire. Yeah. He, he, did, he did good. Um, in, <laughs> hands, in hands were full. He set out to do yes. to be a revolutionary leader. And by the way, uh, you know, John Mack's biography of him is very insightful. Uh, Mack really uh, found that Lawrence was not the figure that we recognize from the movie, for example, sort of a bloodthirsty, um, overconfident leader. Um, uh, he, he was very insecure and, and shy and, you know, uh, uh, embarrassed by the by the. Um, a bloodlust of his tribesmen that mm-hmm. that he unleashed. He he didn't agree with their you know violent methods. Uh, in in some cases, there's certainly the massacres that they perpetrated. He was a complicated figure, and Mac was was also complicated, and he recognized that. And in some ways, he said he patterned himself after T. E. Lawrence, which is interesting. Hmm. What were some of those complications with Mac that were being expressed? Well, I mentioned the mother. Um, he um, he was always searching for something missing in his life. He uh, his father, who by the way was a uh, an eminent um, English professor at, at City College of New York when I was a student there. Oh wow! And, uh, I, I did not know anything about John Mack at that point. Um, huh. John Mack had not you know he was just beginning his career in psychiatry. He hadn't uh, taken on alien abduction yet. Mm. But his father um, was a very important figure at City College when I went there, an English professor. Yeah. Um, and um, 
so I, you know, I came across a lot of these synchronicities, by the way, when I was writing my book, mm, I'm uh, sure it made me think that there was, you know, I was sort of being, um, programmed, you know, to do this book, <laughs> um, in, in some way, I, you know, that still mystifies me, but, um, um, anyway, uh, so he, so Mac was a complicated character. Um, he, um, uh, he sort of stumbled across this uh, alien abduction thing uh, from, as I said, being very well grounded in earthly causes. Um, but once he came across something he didn't understand, he was very brave in pursuing it. He wasn't scared off by the fact that, oh, this will hurt your career. You know, you're a psychiatrist at Harvard. You know, this will damage your standing. Um, he, you know, an interviewer once asked him, uh, you know, what about this subject, uh, you know, grips you? Mm. And he, he turned it around and he said, well, who wouldn't be gripped by this subject? <laughs> I mean, come on, this is the, the number one mystery uh, of all time. Uh, what, you know, are, are we being visited by another intelligence? Uh, right. Are we alone in the universe? Uh, you know, what's going on with these strange experiences that people are having? Uh, I mean, that's uh, that is a mystery for the ages. Yeah, yeah, it's it's hard not to be obsessed with this once you fall into a certain level of the rabbit hole. I think. <laughs> yeah, and he did. Yeah. Uh, so we we talked a little bit about Mac and T. E. Lawrence, but I wonder if you feel personally like you relate to Mac on either a professional level or I'm, I'm most interested in if you relate to him on a personal one. Well, um, you know, no, no author does a biography without really being captivated by his or her subject. I mean, yeah, that, that you would couldn't suck, do huh? a book, you know, <laughs> if you couldn't do a book and, and spend all those years, if you weren't right. somehow, uh, enthralled with, with your subject or mystified by your subject. And, um, um, you know, I had the benefit of getting access to all of Mac's personal papers from his family, um, his taped therapy, his, his own therapy sessions, because as a psychiatrist, he had to be analyzed, um, you know, by his own therapist. And, uh, and he taped those sessions and I had access to a great number of them. Um, I saw his private journals where he noted his deepest thoughts um, and uh, his unpublished manuscripts and his articles and his emails to and from. Hmm. So um, I had a, a real window uh, into him and uh, there was nothing about you know what I found out that that uh, uh, decreased my interest in him or made me dislike him. On the contrary, I thought he was very brave. Uh, he was in a bit naive at times. He made mistakes. He wasn't perfect by a long shot. Um, he wasn't. Uh, he, his his search for the missing elements in his life meant that he searched for other women in addition to his wife and his marriage, which she kind of reluctantly understood uh, and, and lived with. They still had a good relationship, but uh, he was um, uh, he was not faithful. Mm. Um, so he was not a saint, uh, nor, nor do I paint him that way. Uh, but um, he, he was basically honest in everything he did. He didn't skulk around. He when he made mistakes, he owned up to them. Uh, he was too enthusiastic uh, in jumping into things before he had investigated them. You know, he heard about the abduction thing from Bud Hopkins. And within two years, he was lecturing at Harvard about it. Now, that, that doesn't suggest, you know, a long, thorough investigation. He right. was mystified. He was captivated. So he started talking about it. And yeah. in less than two years, he was holding, you know, lectures about it. That's so, you know, that doesn't suggest a very judicious approach, but that, <laughs> that, that was his strength, too. He wasn't intimidated by a tough subject. Right, right. Well, th OK, well, now I see I can personally relate you to him in a way because, uh, of, uh, I mean, that some of the books that you've written and some of the stories and beats that you've covered. Um, I, I want to ask you more about that. But first, we're going to take a quick break here on Night Drift with me, Jim Perry, and we're taking your calls. Have you had an encounter? Let us know at 425-373-5527 or toll-free in Western Washington, 888-298-KKNW. 
And after this, we'll be joined by Lucy. Thank you for listening, Night Drift. We'll be right back. Was it always this way? And I just couldn't see it. Heart burning, hot enough for the both of us. I never realized how much you were holding back. All the times I felt so plugged in. You were turning up. Drifting deeper into the night, Jim Perry is taking your calls at 425-373-5527 or toll-free in Western Washington, 888-298-KKNW-5569. Is that a chill in the air? It reminds us that Halloween is right around the corner. But why wait until October to celebrate? Shudder is once again supersizing the spooky season with 61 days of Halloween starting in September. Shudder's biggest, best lineup of new movies, new series, and classic favorites ever. This month kicks off with two Shudder originals hot off the film festival circuit, Rental Gone Wrong Thriller Superhost on September 2nd, and Ghostly Chiller Martyr's Lane on September 9th. Then things really heat up with a new season of Creepshow, premiering September 23rd. And thanks to AMC Network Shutter, you can watch those films and more for free right after you finish this episode. To try Shutter for free for 30 days, go to Shutter.com and use promo code Euphemed. That's S-H-U-D-D-E-R.com with promo code Euphemed. Did you watch those films I recommended in July? The McPherson Tapes? Arch Enemy? Well, here's another one. The 1978 version of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. You can watch that now on your Apple TV, just like me, your phone, or about any other device and enjoy the largest, fastest-growing human-curated selection of thrilling entertainment. It's the best streaming service for horror and the best for Halloween scares. New stuff is added weekly, and it's just $5.99 a month or $56.99 a year. But you can try Shudder for 30 days for free and help support Euphemet while you're at it. Just go to Shudder.com, S-H-U-D-D-E-R.com, and use promo code Euphemet. I'm Jim Perry, host of the documentary series Euphemet, and tonight I want to introduce you to Night Drift with Jim Perry. Join me every Sunday at 5 p.m. Pacific for conversations with paranormal thought leaders, experiencers, scientists, artists, and mystics to explore the unknown and discuss paranormal topics affecting our lives, society, and culture. Night Drift. With Jim Perry on Alternative Talk, 1150 AM, KKNW, Seattle. Alternative Talk, 1150 on AM, 98.9 HD3 on HD, 1150KKNW.com on the web. From west of the Cascades to the rest of the world, lines are open. Call 425-373-5527 or toll-free in Western Washington, 888-298-5569. That's 888-298-KKNW. And we're back here with Ralph Blumenthal. And if you want more Night Drift, you can find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Please follow, rate, and review. And don't forget to subscribe to Euphemet while you're at it. That's E-U-P-H-O-M-E-T. For more information, visit euphemet.com. And next week, this program comes to you live from Los Angeles with filmmaker Daniel Noah. His film company with partner Elijah Wood, SpectreVision, makes chilling displays of horror, a glimpse into a psychedelic paranormal reality with films like Mandy, A Color Out of Space, and Closer to Earth, their recent film, No Man of God. Daniel, as heard on his Euphemet features, is an experiencer himself of visitations, perhaps of a different sort than tonight's. This is next week at 5 p.m. Pacific time, 8 p.m. Eastern here on Alternative Talk, 1115 KKNWAM and streamed worldwide at euphemet.com. And I want to thank everyone who's listening and tweeting about this show right now and the patrons that are uh, sharing messages with me on Patreon right now. So tonight we're talking about the believer and the experiencer. John Mack, Ralph Blumenthal, and the alien experiencer phenomenon. Joining us in just a minute, a woman named Lucy, who will share her story as a member of this very community. And take note, you should head over to thedebrief.org, a great site. Friends of this show 
as well. And uh, Ralph has a recent article entitled The Experience, The Cultural Rise of Alien Abductions and Those Who Encounter Them. If you're listening to this as a podcast, you can find the link in the show notes. So I've had the opportunity to meet up with our next guest several times this very year. Lucy, you've been a considerate feature on the last season of Euphemet exploring an incident that occurred to you, uh-huh. potentially as a result of a spell gone wrong. Uh, I believe you may identify as a witch, but you also are a lifelong experiencer. And I want to thank you for joining us here on Night Drift. Well, thank you for having me. I'm really pleased to be on. Um, yeah, I, I, I would love to, I'd love to know first, just if you can kind of share with us the moment you believe this all started to happen? Um, I, well, huh. <laughs> I mean, it all started to happen when I was very, very, very young. Um, yeah. But uh, as far as when I realized what it was and I w- became conscious so that I was um, an abductee, which I preferred to experiencer because experiencer is kind of a, doesn't really describe anything. And this is oh, definitely yeah. not something that's chosen. Um, mm. Mm-hmm. But uh, it was 1986 in the summer, and a lot of strange things were happening to me, and I, was, I couldn't sleep at night. I knew something was wrong, but I couldn't figure out what it was. And I started just staying awake, like night after night after night, and I would sleep during the day when people, like on the couch, you know, so I would be around people because I couldn't stand being alone. And, um, but at night, I'd be in my bed with the lights on and everything, and I'd be reading a book or something. And um, one night uh, when I was doing that, I saw out of the corner of my eye something peek around the end of my bed. And I had curtains. I had like a four-poster bed type of thing with curtains on the end. So it was this thing was peeking around the edge and looking at me, and I could clearly, I looked up and could clearly see this uh, light gray bald thing, um, you know, just kind of looking around at me. And the moment I saw it, and it lasted, like the gaze maybe lasted two seconds. It wasn't maybe three seconds. It wasn't for a very long time, but... Instantly, on uh, once we had eye contact, there was the instant telepathy that was just crazy, and it was sort of like. And I mm. saw, all of a sudden, I realized, oh my god, it's an alien! And I started just babbling myself in my head really fast and kind of freaking out. And um, and all of a sudden, I realized all these different weird things were happening. Now it sort of made sense, and I hadn't seen at that point. '86 uh, was kind of before uh, I really saw. You know, there's like, communion came out. I think a little bit later. I don't know, but. Um, the books that had the aliens on them, you know, that I didn't see those until like uh, six months, a year, two years later. And so I would, but I still instinctively called it an alien, maybe because it resembled something that I'd seen on a movie or something. I don't know, but there was this thing. And it was very real and physical in my room. And, um, and then it zipped away and um, I had the door closed. And I jumped out of bed and I looked and I started screaming at the top of my lungs. And I had the window open. It was summer. And, Whatever it went right through a solid door, even though it looked completely solid and physical to me when I saw it. And um, nobody woke up, and nobody called the police. And I was in a suburb where you know somebody screaming bloody murder for I think I don't know. I was screaming for a long time because I was just completely freaking out. No. Nobody in my house woke up. Nobody in the neighborhood woke up. There didn't seem to be any traffic. Everything just was weird. But I was wide awake, absolutely wide awake. But that was when I realized what was going on and. It wasn't until a little while later, uh, I don't like I said, between six months and a year or so, that I uh, finally realized that I wasn't the only person having this type of thing. I'd heard about like an alien abduction, like on the road with like Benny and Barney Hill, but um, I'd never, I didn't think my bedroom. Why would it happen in my bedroom? And then I found out. I saw the books and and I contacted uh, Bud Hopkins, and I worked with him in the late '80s, early '90s. Um, and he was a very, very nice guy, super, super empathic and everything, but. Um, and so I've been aware of it, and I've been kind of consciously writing about every single experience, every detail that I remember consciously um, ever since then. Yeah, and, and it's collected in a very compelling blog, um, which you're free to share if you want, or I can, I can place oh, sure. in the show notes if you'd like. Um, yeah, it's at Spiral Zend on LiveJournal and Strikingly. So Say that can, one more time for listeners. At Spiral Zend, you can find it on LiveJournal or at Spiral Zend on Strikingly. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Ralph, would you happen to have any questions for yeah. Lucy as an um, experiencer? Yeah, I'm really taken by your account, Lucy, and thank you for, for sharing it. Um, one of the things that really um, impressed John Mack was uh, how consistent these stories were. Uh, mm-hmm. People from all over 
the, the world really from different walks of life, uh, different backgrounds, blue collar, white collar, and children as young as two years old were, were telling similar stories. Um, uh, so there was a basic consistency to these stories, and yet they, they, the details were often so different. Uh, so people couldn't be reading off the same script. Um, and some of the details were so striking, you know, the instruments that they saw on the ship and, and the description of the, the beings and the interactions they had telepathically were, were so bizarre, so, so impossible to make up. Um, so that's what I take from, from Lucy's account. I mean, it starts, uh, you know, consistent with other accounts we've heard, but, um, the, you know, the little details uh, differ. So um, yeah. it well, all goes had, to credibility. Yeah. I've had, um, and I mean, I've had many experiences since then, including one in August of 92, where people saw me with aliens. Witnesses actually called the police. And oh when, um, and there's oh. a lot more to that particular story, but the police showed up and I saw them from my window. At that point, I was already back home, but I could see the police from my window. I was looking out the window and saw an alien from the window. There was a whole thing to that. But what, okay, okay. Uh, Lucy, we, we have a little bit of time here. This is a this is a super compelling account. Would you mind taking us through a little bit of, of the details of how this ha- occurred to you, if it's not too personal well, in nature? Okay, this sounds kind of strange, but I was very, very, uh, of course, very scared. Like, I could not handle the fact that aliens were real. They were in my life. And at some point, um, and things were very, very active. There's, like, active periods and quiet periods. And um, summers for most of my teens and early 20s were the super active periods for me. And in August of 1992, I had um, an experience where I remember barely, but I remember asking them, the greys, mainly these ones that were escort greys, I would call them. Um, I asked them, like I said, I need to see you while I'm wide awake, but I don't want to be scared. I need proof you're real. But I I have to have you, like, maybe at a distance. Like, I need to see you. I can't have Mm. you close up. It's too scary. So Mm. when I came to in my little attic bedroom, I instantly knew I'd been somewhere, and I knew I'd been with them, and I knew I had to look out the window. So I looked out my little attic window, and I could see about a half a block away, you know, two houses down maybe, there was an alley that ran behind um, our house, and I could see an alien. It was sitting, and it was standing in the, the street light, so it looked like kind of a silhouette, but it was obviously an alien, and it waved its, its hand at me, when it realized I could see it. So it's like, here I am, see I'm real, you can see I'm real. And I was like, mm-hmm. okay, okay, and I wasn't scared. But I kept, I was like, oh my gosh, this has just happened, this has really happened to me. Oh my gosh, they actually did what I asked them to. And I was kind of, I felt grateful, but I was also kind of freaked out. And I kept looking out the window because I was just in astonishment of what had happened. And then a police car came by and it had its uh, s- uh, searchlight, the spotlight, and was looking back and forth through the, the and this is like maybe, the cop car showed up like five minutes later, if that. I mean, it showed up really fast. And um, the alien was long gone by then. But um, uh, And then another cop car came, and they were shining these spotlights up and down the street, and they were like searching oh around, God. and I knew something had happened. So the next day, uh, we called the police, and we said, um, we noticed that there were cops in this back area. And I say we because it's my um, uh, then like fiancé and myself. And um, they said, yeah, there was a report of a drunk woman with very long hair escorted by what looked like cancer kids. And that was oh my the report God. given to the police. Yeah. And, I, of course, I've, I've always had very long hair, like, well past, like, my thighs. So, it, you know, nobody else had hair like that in my entire neighborhood or area. So I knew, of course, it was me when they were describing it. But, and drunk means I must have been, like, they must have had me under some sort of a, I don't know, like, they had me definitely not in a normal frame of mind. But, mm. um yeah, and that was really compelling. And then that same day, a black helicopter came and buzzed our apartment, which was basically the top floor of a house. And that all happened in the space of just 24 hours. Um, but that particular thing where I had witnesses that called the police and said they, I mean, what they described was exactly like, of course, they would look like maybe cancer kids, maybe, from a distance, if you didn't know what you were seeing, because they're bald and short and skinny, um, I thought, well, that for me was my proof that this was an actual three-dimensional physical reality thing that could happen and was happening to me. And um, that was for me like the last final, that's it, it's real. I'm an abductee, this is, I can't, I can't question it anymore. I mean, I don't understand all the ins and outs and details of it, but there's something very real going on here, and I have to face that and deal with it. And, um, and I, was, uh, I was all of... Uh, 22 years old, I guess, when this happened. So, yeah. And I'm mm. now 51. So it's been a long time since 
have kind of realized that this is a real thing. Wow. Yeah. R- Ralph, wh- Ralph, what do you make of that account? Wow. Oh. Stunning. Wow. It blows me away because, as I said, John Mack was very taken with these uh, third party corroboration stories uh, because again when you're looking for some kind of proof that's that's one kind of proof that's very compelling that other people uh, saw this um encounter or witnessed part of it um yeah. so that is 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 truly uh, really striking the most striking thing about your story lucy um and as you say it does uh, take it out of the realm of of you know just one person's hallucination or whatever to the point where, well, uh, you know, as Linda Napolitano, one of uh, Bud Hopkins' other uh, experiences or abductees, said, uh, you know, if other people are seeing my hallucinations, that's the scariest thing of all. Oh, oh man. <laughs> yeah. Um, wow. So uh, I, I, I'm very impressed with that, uh, with that detail of your story. I mean, that's completely striking. It's one thing for you to have this experience. It's another thing for other people to, you know, witnesses to, to see it too. So it does, penet- it does seem to penetrate our reality in ways that, you know, that other people uh, so- sometimes can be witnessed. But as, as your story says, um, uh, people, witnesses often have their memories uh, altered or they can't remember or details are wiped out. Um, so that, that's part of the phenomenon too. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Wow. Absolutely. Well, it's 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 an incredibly deep mystery, and and one that I think we can only scratch the very surface of on a one-hour program. And unfortunately, we've run out of time, folks. But uh, Ralph, what would be the best way for people to see and experience your work? Well, I have a website where all my uh, interviews are, and my biography and uh, the books I've written. It's uh, www. Ralph Blumenthal. R-A-L-P-H-B-L-U-M-E-N-T-H-A-L, ralphblumenthal.com. So everything is there. The books are available on Amazon or in, you know, independent bookstores. They're Kindle versions, so you can uh, get it directly to your device. There's an audio version, so you can listen in your car. So that's the best way to uh, tap into all that. Fantastic. Well, and and those links as well as Lucy's blog will be included in our show notes on euphemet.com. That's it for this week. Oh my gosh, a stunning, uh, a phenomenal show. And I I must thank you, Ralph. Thank you so much for joining us on Night Drift. Lucy, thank you so much. Uh, I would love to have you both back on at a future date. And thank you for listening to Night Drift with Jim Perry on Alternative Talk KKNW 1150 AM Seattle. Hear the show anytime on his podcast feed, wherever you listen to them. Follow Night Drift with Jim Perry on Spotify and subscribe on Apple Podcasts to receive new episodes of Night Drift automatically and gain access to all of our past episodes.